Hello, everybody. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. I'm your host, Jordan Lewis. Joining me in the studio today, I have Dan Robinson as well as Corinne Weebold from the Department of Labor. How are you both doing today? Good, Jordan. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And it's nice to have you, despite how uh, I know how hectic the weekend was for a lot of folks. So, yeah, it's nice to kind of have a, a time and just talk about something a little different. Give us all a little bit of a breather. Plus, the weather's not too bad today. But I understand the big topic in the Trends magazine, which may not be the most appealing thing for most folks in Southeast, is looking at how Anchorage's economy has fared in the second century that it's been around for. So where would you like to start with that? Well, and I'll just say before, Karina is going to mostly talk about this article, but the maybe one way to make it relevant for Southeast is when Alaska's interesting where our population centers have been historically and where they've changed. Originally, Southeast was quite distinctly the population center because of fur and gold and fish and all the, those resources. But then later on, Anchorage and Fairbanks both kind of became accidental population centers and, and most of the population has now kind of migrated in that direction with oil and some other things. So we think that's an interesting question whenever we talk about an area is why people first located there. Quite often um, the original inhabitants, there was some kind of river or fish resource or something else. So with that, um, I'll let Karina talk more about Anchorage. Well, with that introduction, I guess I would say that Anchorage is an interesting place in that it wasn't originally fur or gold or oil or any of those other natural resources that led to its location being determined. It was actually chosen as the site of the uh, railroad, and it was picked because of uh, the Ship Creek access getting inland, the fact that you had a nice mountain pass to get through the Matsu area, and that it had a nice kind of a port to it. So it was picked for its location for the railroad, and the town actually grew up around the railroad. Okay. I... It, and it's interesting for me to think back on things related to Anchorage, especially as someone who grew up there but never gave it much thought, largely because, you know, it's that same sort of, oh, I grew up there, so I have a little bit of underlying animosity towards it because I'm like, oh, I'm from there. I don't want to be there right now. But looking at some of the some of the graphs that you've actually provided with this article in here, you know, looking at the changes in population, there's a pretty distinctive, you know, about, I want to say 30 years where you see a large shift in where that population really was going. Because you look at, like, you know, pre-1950, it's, you know, we're looking at below 50,000. But then give it, you know, by the time you hit 1980, we're about, I would say, it looks like 175,000. Yeah, Anchorage's population really did change quite a lot um, over time. And when we look at Anchorage, it was pretty small as we were looking at. I'm going to find the same chart that you're looking at. Ah, thanks. Yep, from uh, kind of the inception of Anchorage in the early teens uh, going up through about 1940, the population was very low and it started to grow in 1950, about the same time that we were um, starting to have a larger military presence. Then the military coming into Alaska um, between World War II, Korea um, and the Cold War really built up our um, military presence in the state, and it really boomed um, Anchorage's population. Elmendorf, and now it's the Joint Base Elmendorf, um, 
It's J-Bear. Joint J-Bear, yeah. Joint base Elmendorf Richardson. Has, that really changed the dynamic of Anchorage's population. And so it went from the railroad being kind of the center um, of economic activity to that infusion of federal money coming in with the military was really kind of the driver for a while. And then, you know, it kind of it continued to grow, but it wasn't huge up through, you know, 1960. But we really saw the takeoff happening in the 70s when we started to have the oil pipeline construction. There was an earthquake, and then we had the rebuilding of that. We just really started to build up Anchorage's population. Anchorage is also, um, as it kind of became bigger, and it's given its strategic location as well, being with the railroad, having a major airport, and being on the road system, it became a popular, it became a center for commerce and healthcare. So we really started to see those sectors grow up. Healthcare has been a major driver in um, Anchorage employment, and retail for quite a long time was too. As Neil notes several times in several of his articles, retail has generally been on the downturn in Anchorage with the uptick of uh, e-commerce. But in general, um, it's been a, a place that people go for healthcare, for shopping, and for transportation. Okay. And I actually, have, I think Neil might notice this because I know they're building an Amazon warehouse up there. You might see that tick uh, a bit faster with that warehouse being up there in terms of your e-commerce numbers. I was going to say when you mentioned, you know, talking about, you know, how the military plays a significant role in increasing that population size. I imagine you mentioned a couple of different conflicts, but I imagine that was probably largely the Cold War because obviously there's that lingering, oh, no, there's communist Russia right there. We need to build up all of our defenses right there. And, you know, and that's similar to what we was seeing, you know, with it pretty much globally where anywhere there's like, ah, there's this immediate concern, build up all this presence here. Well, you can't just move the soldiers there. you got to move their families there. That encourages them more to actually be you know going along with that and so i think that probably is going to be the largest driver at least of the things that you mentioned obviously i'm not an economist this isn't my main area but if that would be kind of my assessment just from how you describe that Yes, I agree. And Alaska's military strategic location is not becoming less important over time. It continues to be a major uh, reason why we have so much of a military presence here, including um, the kind of rebuilding of the Eielson Air Force in the interior. Well, Jordan, that that Cold War uh, reference you made is important because after World War II, so World War II and and the road, we we have the Alcan because of World War II, um, but then after World War II, a lot of military bases would have kind of, uh, not a lot of them, some of them would have would have geared down a little. But our our location close to Russia and that 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 strategic kind of where the location, um, I guess almost all location we actually increased the military presence in the 50s in the korean war and some of that stuff um so and then and we're seeing some some um elements of that now too with concerns about russia and china both and alaska being kind of equidistant uh from some of those places so the uh, it was i was glad to hear you kind of point that out other bases down south would not have that element in their history as kind of a personal side note, too, um, part of the reason why I live in Alaska and was born and raised here is that my grandfather was a military officer at Eielson and came up in the late 70s. And my dad, as a high school student, fell in love with Alaska. And when his dad moved to Oklahoma next, he stayed. So it's part of my history, too. Gotcha. I was going to say, for me, 
my mom was born and raised in Cordova and then went up to Anchorage when she started working for Providence. My dad went up there because he started working on the oil pipeline and then he stuck around for largely my mom, I'd like to think. But <laughs> And what was Cordova because of fishing or? Uh, I think it was that and my grandfather uh, was, a, he's a, was a pilot. So oh, okay. he also did okay. flights in and out of there. And so she grew up there because of that, worked in the cannery for fisheries. And so that was her whole environment. And then once she got into the medical field through school, then she would end up moving into Anchorage. She did some schooling in Fairbanks as well, but she ended up sticking around in Anchorage. She might even, uh, she listens to the show sometimes, so she might message yeah, me about nice. that later. <laughs> well, and like Karina was talking about, once a, once a place becomes a population center, then it, it builds on itself. That's where the healthcare centers are and the retail and yeah. Yep, and your, your family is an interesting echo of some of these economic changes because healthcare obviously was a huge driver of growth in um, Anchorage and it attracts people from all these surrounding areas to go there. But then the oil sector also really has a presence in Anchorage. It's the um, like primary office site for a lot of the headquarters, and then there's a lot of oil field workers who would live in Anchorage and commute out. So it was an important part of their economy. And I, and I definitely can note that as well. I mean, I have, I still have family members who live in Anchorage and then fly out to the slope to do work, and then they'll be there for a couple months come back. That's what my dad did for quite some time when I was younger. Granted, he ran sites. He wasn't doing some of the other work. He was the one that was running everything toward the end there. But no, it's definitely interesting. And I agree that it's going to be interesting to continue to see how it changes, especially like I was noting with that development of that Amazon warehouse. It'll be interesting to see how that'll impact things in terms of retail. But it's also, you know, there is, it's still also that post-COVID, so that's going to impact things as well. Now, I am actually looking at my clock. We aren't going to have to move into our break here in just a moment. But I do want to tease that as well as that we're going to be talking about uh, changes in where construction jobs are at. So we'll have all of that here coming up in just a moment. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And welcome back to Action Line. I still have Dan Robinson and Karina Weebold in my studio here from the Department of Labor. Now... The second major article from your Trends magazine that I want to talk with you both about is looking at where the sort of construction jobs are shifting. And one of the big things that caught my attention is looking at some of the, the what are considered the top 20 Alaska Infrastructure Act funded projects. So where would you like to start with those? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you started there because that's the main reason construction is going to be a hot economic topic for a decade is that... Uh, there is just a, a whole lot of money coming Alaska's way for infrastructure prode- projects, broadband. And Sarah Teal, uh, an economist who uh, has moved to New Mexico, wrote this article. And it's a, it's a very good article for lots of reasons, but, but one that will make it a reference is we, we include in there the top 20 Infrastructure Act funded projects so far. So you can see, for example, the second biggest is the Port of Nome, $250 million. And $4.9 billion total over the, the, the life of the Infrastructure Act, which will be somewhere between five and 10 years, probably closer to 10, is coming our way. And, and that, that's such a big number, it's hard to put it into context. But it will just, there will be construction money for lots of things. And Alaska is still relatively infrastructure poor compared to other states. We're a young state, we're a huge state. Um, so this, both the infrastructure itself, kind of traditional roads, bridges, um, but then also the broadband, um, the opportunity to, to scale up will, will, is a really big deal for Alaska. 
Gotcha. And I remember hearing about the the Port of Nome, that project, and how I know some of that was, and that's a deep water port from my understanding. Yeah, correct? yeah. Okay. I remember hearing that and how they were like, oh, you can also get cruise ships in there. And then my brain thinking in the briefest moment about uh, tourism economics, I'm like, that'd be an interesting stop. I don't know what all you'd you'd want to go see while you're up there. And I wonder, when, when I hear that, if people understand the difference, the, the distances, you know, it's easy to think, well, we just go around there, you know, like it's Iceland or something. Yeah, like but. it's some <laughs> short amount. It's like, no, no, right, no, no. Right, and then, well, just as a, we talked a little bit about the military kind of strategic importance, but then also new trade routes, um, things like that. So Nome might become the new, you know, center if we jump forward 50 years, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there's a lot that could happen in that part of the of the Arctic. No, definitely. And then the one that's got my attention is, you know, the National Highway Performance Program, you know, the idea of improving the highways. Because I mean, I think oftentimes we forget the the number of highways within the state. Yeah, the, the miles and, and we and as, as whatever we have, it's it's it, it, despite how big we are, the mileage of highways is, is fairly small in Alaska. I think um, I don't know enough to, I guess, opine about the, the quality of our highways. I know permafrost is a challenge, so we probably have to spend a little more here than uh, in Arizona, for example, to maintain them. Uh, but yeah, that's the number one um, infrastructure project when we itemize it. And it's kind of a, an interesting itemization. It's just, national, like you said, National Highway Performance Program, which means a third of a billion dollars for lots of roads and bridges and things yeah. in Alaska. In my brain, it's like, oh, maybe that'll help reduce the uh, construction season, also known as summer. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It'll probably do the opposite of reduce it. It'll probably expand it. It'll probably make it so that uh, spring and summer becomes Yeah, it'll be everywhere, season. yeah. Now, the two, two of the big projects on here that have caught my attention, especially for, for Southeast, is going to be the Alaska Marine Highway System's Federal Highway Administration Ferry Boat Program, as well as one that is aimed towards Haines, Huna, Angoon, as well as Skagway, which is the Alaska Telephone Company Fiber to Premises Network. Those two have got my attention here as well. Yeah, I mean, when we talked a little bit about broadband, and it, it, so some of those are broadband related to expand access and improve access. And then for Southeast, the ferry uh, is such an important, it, it is our, I mean, it's no accident that it's called the Alaska Marine Highway. So ferry funds connect us here in ways that roads connect people other places. So again, this, the dollar amount and some of the specific uh what uh, identification of Alaska ferry specific funding could be a, a, a very big deal for us economically, uh, quality of life for those of us who live here. Um, and, and the ferry struggled a little bit for the last decade at least. Gotcha. And now that we've talked some about a good chunk of those projects, I also want to talk to you about the, one of the sections of this article has caught my attention, which is that wages are high, but inflation takes a toll. Now, I don't think anyone needs an explanation, quite the explanation for why inflation would take a toll, but maybe break that down a bit more for me. Yeah, we've looked at that kind of as a theme throughout the, the high inflation period is, is how wages have also risen. And for, the, for construction specifically, Sarah Teal talks about wages went up. Uh, $4,000 on average from 19 to 22, but if you adjust it for inflation, they would have had to gone up $10,000. So construction 
concession workers have lost ground in their wages to inflation over this period. That may just mean that the wage increases are still coming through. Um, and then backing up a little bit to a, a chart in Neil's Anchorage article, a theme that we've touched on a few times recently is Alaska in general has been losing ground relative to other countries or other states. We used to be probably the highest wage state in the country in the 80s. Now we're almost average. We're still a little bit above average for, for wages. And that, that that's definitely true of construction, a little bit higher than average, but not as much as we used to be. And that becomes important when we when we need to uh, hire construction workers and we don't have that wage premium to keep construction workers here or to attract them from other states when necessary. Gotcha. And certainly maybe to speak on to your point about, you know, seeing those changes where it's like now we're only about like above average in terms of wages as a state and you know i think that comes from you know shifting of industries and where a lot of those sort of centers become you know, obviously over the last i want to say the last you know about at least the last decade knowing my very my comparatively smaller time frame that i'm working within you know you see this huge shift towards you know the tech center and those kinds of things and those just aren't things that alaska has at the time or or has at the moment, not at the time. And so that's what I think plays probably a role of that because you have a lot of folks that are about my age or younger where that's the sectors that they're going into, a lot of them, or they're studying into. Yes, you still have those trades. Those are always going to be important, but that's where you're seeing it. And so then you have all those folks move out and then you still have you know, the same industries within the state. And then it becomes that questionable, then how are we going to get more people to have jobs up here and thus maybe get those those wages back up and make the state more appealing. No, that's right. That in, in the 80s, and it's interesting, in the 80s we had so much oil money that wages were high, not just in oil, but in private sector and in government and in teaching and, and that attracted a lot of people from outside, a lot of well-educated, highly competent people, and that helped us grow the state, not just in oil, but in other things. And then, and then oil's been on a it's kind of plateaued lately, but it's it's just not pumping nearly as much money into the economy as it used to be. Meanwhile, other parts of the country have had different types of booms, tech being the most obvious, housing a little bit, and there's some other ones, but tech would be the biggest one. And that's, that's not really what Alaska does. So it's kind of uh, what whether what you have is 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 modern or not. Uh, and some of what we have is modern, and it's not going away. Fishing, tourism, mining, um, and oil is probably going to be a, a, a contributor for a while. But this, the fact that I, I like that you hit on people, young people in particular, are more than before looking outside Alaska, and we're not attracting as many young people as we used to. So that's a challenge for us. And part of what we need to do is make sure our schools are good, our our, our institutions are as good as they can be so that we don't accidentally drive people away or keep people from coming. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I want to take this moment to kind of ask you both what your key takeaways have been from this month's Trends Magazine before we wrap up the show. And so I think, Karina, we'll start with you. No problem. Well, Neil had written a while ago, um, back in like 2015, about the first hundred years of Anchorage. And this article was kind of an update in what's been happening in the 10 years or so afterwards. And really the story in Anchorage changed quite a bit. It had been kind of a growing boom town, doing well economically up through that period of the mid-teens and the 2020, or mid-20-teens. And things changed a lot. The, we lost oil and gas jobs when the price started to fall in 2000s 
2015, that started to drive down a number of industries in Anchorage in kind of a general tumble. And Anchorage entered a recession that they still haven't pulled out of. So we really have seen um, kind of a general loss in Anchorage's economy. So they went into uh, the pandemic period pretty weak and the state had had a little bit of growth in 19 anchorage really didn't have that so anchorage is still continuing to kind of start to pull out of those losses they're not quite back to pre-pandemic levels but it looks like very likely going to be in the next year or so so anchorage is recovering but it's not the boom town that it was before gotcha and now dan we are getting rapidly approaching the end of the clock i think you only got 20 seconds here i'll just say that the infrastructure act will be a really big deal for alaska uh to kind of juice us a little bit and also kind of have us catch up to some of what the other states have gotcha well dan karina i'd like to thank you both for coming on taking the time to chat with me it's always good to get your guys' perspective on economics things because that always helps me out with getting that kind of things out to the general public at large so i thank you for that thank you thanks all righty you've all been listening to action line on kiny